and welcome to The Cinema Show, where we bring you movie news, reviews, and insights right here on our podcast. I'm Dylan Martin. Here with me today is lovely Lori. Oh, good morning, darling. Good morning. <laughs> good morning, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a few movie news to talk about this week. Very exciting movie news here. Our first set of news here, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Jesse Plemons finds himself in a role that was originally set for Oscar winner Leonardo DiCaprio. But as Leo is placed on a secondary part, both him and Plemons will star alongside Robert De Niro in Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on the David Grant bestseller. Jesse Plemons will play a lead FBI agent investigating murders, and with Forrest Gump writer Eric Roth to adapt the book to screen, Killers of the Flower Moon will be coming soon through Apple Studios. Jesse Plemons, he has been in some good amount of movies these past couple of years as a supporting role. I just watched him in Judas and the Black Messiah. Yes, his up and comings. And he has worked with Scorsese before in The Irishman, correct? Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, and he played, you know, uh, the son in The Irishman. And he was very memorable in that role. I don't know. I know I read something. I think he might have also played in a couple of other Scorsese. So I know he's worked with him before. There is a history there. It's kind of the reason why they went to him once the whole Leonardo DiCaprio change happened. And wasn't there a little bit of controversy? Wasn't there um, vision issues as far as in the direction they thought the movie should go in between Leonardo DiCaprio and one of the other people? On I was reading multiple articles on this and I got yeah. like, very conflicting news so I don't know who to trust right now because one said that Plemons had replaced him and that DiCaprio had left yes so I, I, I was like okay and then the next article came saying that Leo decided to take a secondary part with Jesse Plemons coming on to lead the movie and one of the articles said that DiCaprio and the writer Eric Roth had their disagreements yes to me it's maybe one or two things the arguments didn't happen and it was just they came to a consensus that the project itself didn't need Leo to be in that particular part. It wasn't the best fit or there were disagreements and out of respect for Scorsese, Leo wanted to stay on the project, but not at the lead. Yes, yes. And I did also read another article because I did the same thing you did. That's why I was like with somebody else because I heard all sorts of things. But I did read one article where it said that he just felt more of a connection with a secondary role. And he just felt like he wasn't the best person to play that role. And it could be something as simple as that, which usually the simplest explanation usually is. So I think, you know, personally, I want to believe that that's what it was and that there was no kind of bad blood there. But yeah, I, I'm really excited about this film. But yeah, we hear this all the time in Hollywood about creative differences and, that, and that's any project at all. Eric Roth, though, writer of Forrest Gump, he has quite the resume himself. Yes. A collaboration between him and Scorsese with Jesse Plemons on the lead. I'm excited. And of course, you have De Niro and DiCaprio. They've been in a movie together. Uh, what was that? This Boy's Life. Yes, where De Niro's the, the abusive stepfather, right? Yes, uh, This Boy's Life. Remember, he was the Boy Scout leader and mm. he was the stepfather, but he get, had a really bad temper. and. Yeah. Great film. Great film. I remember when it premiered on HBO and Leonardo DiCaprio, this is why all of his films I kept up with because he's close to my age. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So when he was a child actor coming out, there was this boy who was close to my age who was this movie star. And he was a heartthrob so, back then. Yes, he was. <laughs> and yes, I had the posters um, <laughs> on my wall. Him, I had Romeo plus Juliet. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, Legends of the Fall with a young Brad Pitt. You know, he was a little older, but still, uh, those were my two posters on my wall. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and then Citizen Kane to just balance out the whole thing. Um, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, no, no. no. Um, was that a poster of Orson Welles topless? Absolutely. 
Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people would think young Orson Welles, but no, no. it was <laughs> <laughs> when, when he was really in it, you know, really, you know, <laughs> battling with the alcoholism and the rage issues, you know, like post Rita Hayworth divorce, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Uh, but no, <laughs> speaking of artists and their art, uh, but yes, this boy's life, it was a great movie. And in the end, you know, um, I guess that was the last time we saw them together. I believe so. For a second, I like started thinking, wait, there was like a a youth movie. But then no, it was Robert De Niro in Sleepers and Leonardo DiCaprio in Basketball Diaries. And those were both kind of movies at the time with these young, hot actors. It was about like their struggling youth and bad things that happened to them. But uh, I was trying to place it. I'm like, nope, nope. They haven't crossed paths again. I don't think they have. Yeah, and what a collaboration we have here from the writing to the director to the source material, too. I believe this movie is going to be set in the 1920s. Oh, I love it. I love period pieces. Have you seen I'm Thinking of Ending Things? No, I haven't. It's on Netflix. It comes from Charlie Kaufman. Oh, wow. And Jesse Plemons steals the show in that movie. Prepare wow. yourself before you watch it, but it's Charlie Kaufman, so you kind of know what you're going to be getting. Yeah. It's one of my favorites of last year. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah, so. Now, this movie, the book that it's based on, do we know anything? Because I haven't read this book. Uh, do you know anything about the premise? It's the same as what the movie will be about a 1920s uh, FBI agent investigating murders. And that's all I know about it. I don't know too okay. much about the plot here. And to see it coming from Apple Studios, because the I Irishman know. was coming from Netflix. But I think that's only because of the pandemic and the Irishman was in the market. It was originally going to come out in theaters because you know how Scorsese feels about the theater. Yes. And it was a bidding war for the Irishman. But I feel like here uh, he decided to stick with the Apple Studios. Wow. I wonder if that relationship will further in the career of Scorsese. I wonder how many films he's got left in him. Well, I mean, you want me to be honest? I think yeah. he's going to die working on a film. I think he's going to totally be one of those directors. And how many have we had like that who died halfway through a film and then they had to bring in another director? You know, on mm. Eyes Wide Shut, you know, we had Kubrick. Kubrick was halfway through Eyes Wide Shut whenever he died. And they had to bring in another director. I forget which one they brought in. Uh, but they had to bring in another director to finish it. And they actually believe that that's why that movie was a miss. Because when you bring in multiple directors, you know, we all know it can really damage a film whenever you mm -hmm. have a vision going and then somebody comes in and they don't exactly see, you know, every artist has their vision and takes their own path. And, you know, one slight turn can just ruin the intention of a movie. Especially with filmmakers like Scorsese and Kubrick. Exactly. I think if somebody were asked me, Lori, how many more plays, you know, do you have in you? How many more shows? I'm like, honey, I'm going to die on stage <laughs> and then I'm going to haunt that theater. <laughs> <laughs> Love to see it. Uh, we talk about a veteran director. Now let's talk about an up and coming director. This is coming in as a Deadline exclusive hereditary and midsummer director. Ari Aster is headed back to A24 for his new film titled Disappointment Boulevard. With the studio set to produce and finance the project. The plot is described as an intimate decade spanning portrait of one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time. Leading the project is Joaquin Phoenix, coming off his Oscar winning performance for Joker. And now production will begin soon. Have you seen these movies, Hereditary and Midsummer? I have seen both. Oh my goodness. I'm a fan. Yes, I'm a fan of Ari Aster, and for A24 to continue supporting him, it's a beautiful relationship. Oh, it's funny, a couple episodes, we, me and Jackson had talked about Brendan Fraser and Darren Aronofsky collaborating through A24. And I know at this point, A24 is that company that these indie douchey film lovers love to just praise. But yeah. it's hard not to with, with these type of projects that they are producing and supporting. I mean, they came out of the gate with just some amazing films uh, and they had every intention of doing that. Uh, they wanted that to kind of be their stamp. So when they go to pick their films, I will tell you, though, the second that I heard that headline, the, the second that I read it, Ari Aster, Disappointment Boulevard, Joaquin Phoenix. And I'm just like, it's like they took 
like perfect recipes and threw them all together. <laughs> That's what A24 is essentially now. And I'm really curious because Hereditary and Midsummer are both horror films and I'm not getting that type of vibe. I think he's going a different route with this. Isn't every Joaquin Phoenix movie a horror film? Like just because his <laughs> intensity is in it. Like, I, I get a little scared every time he's on screen. I don't care what he's in. <laughs> In Space Camp, Space Camp, there was like a moment there where I just saw that flash of those crazy eyes and I was just like, whoa. <laughs> Say what you will about Walking Phoenix, whether you love him or hate him. He is really particular on the projects he jumps on. He he just yeah. doesn't. I remember he rejected Doctor Strange. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what he does. I'm excited for the movie itself because Hereditary traumatized me. I had to walk out of Midsummer. Really? I physically had to get up and leave because I felt sick. It yeah. made me sick. I don't know why. And it was at Alamo Draft House, and <laughs> me, me and Jackson had watched it. And yeah, I tried to play it cool. I tried to like play it off as I was going to the restroom, but I had to like go out into the hallway and just kind of breathe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you had your inhaler and your epipen, and like you didn't know what you needed, but you just started giving yourself everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. A colonic, like just in case. <laughs> but it scares me too. It scares me. The title, the director, the Joaquin Phoenix attached to it. It scares me that it's gonna be one of these like it's gonna be hyped up so much, and I have such high expectations that is this going to like disappoint me I actually and then I feel like even the title itself is kind of like foreboding yeah something about it is foreboding for me so I'm like wondering I don't know why my guttural reaction is telling me this might be a flop Ooh, and it might I mean who knows where we'll be in uh in the near future I hope it's not but it is stacked it is stacked Mm -hmm. and depending on even where it gets streamed too So hopefully, like, maybe an Amazon Prime or a Netflix original. Joaquin Phoenix, you know, he was raised in the Children of God. I'm not sure if that was what it was called, but I know it was some sort of, like, a family cult. (laughs) They've actually talked about it because, you know, he's Joaquin. His brother was River. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has a sister. I want to say her name is Rain or Wind. It's something like that. But they're a rainbow... uh, but they they were a very he comes from some a lot of brothers and sisters and they lived in a commune like a com- community when they were growing up um so i know that's why a lot of people think he's kind of strange and he has these ideas kind of like the arquettes because they were the same they were raised in that kind of like commune type of family of actors uh and you know joaquin phoenix was one of the only ones there the night he was the one who made the 911 call when river phoenix died in front of uh the viper room oh I know, I know. So I'm so glad to see him moving on. And I know he's a little bit left of center, but I think that the things he's been through in life have warranted it. So I tend to give him many reprieves and I pretty much watch anything he's in. I love him. Yeah, uh, there's a misconception about Walking Phoenix that he's loony or whatever. And that's like kind of the easy way to go at it. Say, no, he's just crazy. That's it. But no, he, he, uh, he does have a troubled past, of course, with his brother passing and that's why I love seeing him perform on screen because in a way it's him expressing uh, his inner demons and what he's been through. And I think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I-, I love Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. I would defend him just like Jared Leto. I know. I know. <laughs> Speaking of psychotic characters and people with problems. We have a new trailer out. We have Disney's live action adaptation. They're back at it again uh, with Corella. And it's a prequel, and it will focus on the most fashionable villain in animation, in my opinion. This time, instead of Glenn Close in the role, we see another Academy Award winner, Emma Stone, with her own take. Krella also stars Emma Thompson and Mark Strong, and will also be directed by I, Tanya's Craig Gillespie. The movie is scheduled for May 28th of this year. And we, we're not too sure on if it's going to come out in theaters or streaming directly to Disney+. Plus. Uh, it didn't make it clear in the trailer, and I don't think we'll know for maybe another month or so, uh, depending on the pandemic. But yeah, what did, what did you think about this trailer? Uh, I will say that it excited me. I loved the whole play on it. Like, 
the I know prequels can sometimes be a bit much. I know there is the conception that, uh, well, why do they need a prequel? We don't want to know where they came from. In her case, though, and you kind of do kind of feel sometimes that Disney kind of squeezes the life out of a character. Sometimes or like, do, do they? <laughs> oh, do they? Oh, do they? And so I really kind of ask myself, but you know what? I have to tell you, I'm a nostalgia junkie and I will admit it. I am one of those people who you hit all the right buttons on me and I'm sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was one of those. Uh, I love the dark twist of it. I, I enjoy the female perspective of it. Like I I was just misunderstood. Not everybody. I'm like, oh my gosh, every like every kid out there who's a, you know, feels misunderstood. I was like, they're completely going to identify with this character. It's taking this whole dark twist to it which uh i dig i gotta say i dig it but i'm very very excited about this movie but i do have to say that it did remind me of a saturday night live sketch and it actually was an old sketch that was making fun of disney Mm -hmm. uh for their prequels and it was disney is releasing its new live action bambi (laughs) yeah and it was the rock And he comes out and he has like these guns. He's all built, you know, it's like it's hunting season. And, the you know, because they're all getting back and, you know, and you have like all of these characters, Vin Diesel, you know, played one of the other little animals. And then I think, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm always thumping. I'm Oh, yeah. Vin Diesel plays the ball. I'm always thumping. <laughs> and and I'm gonna tell you the second I saw this, I was like, oh my gosh, this could have been a, a, a sketch on SNL. Like when I saw the preview, and I was just like, oh, I love it. But yes, it's definitely there is a lot of truth to the Disney and really just kind of taking it to another level with these live actions. I, I had a lot of thoughts when even when the first project was announced, and then when the trailer hit, I was like, oh. This the trailer itself, it was straight out of Joker. The yeah. the trailer for Joaquin Phoenix's, which we just talked about, the trailer for that movie, it yeah. was just the same way. The way it was cut, uh, these great big shots, uh, the character itself, and the music, that old-timey happy music, but you're seeing a very dark uh, world and a dark character. Another thing I thought about was Harley Quinn, uh, that Birds of Prey movie. And uh, it's that whole like, oh, it's a fashionable, misunderstood woman. And Disney is taking advantage of all these kind of tropes. They're taking advantage of the Joker crowd, the Harley Quinn crowd. Uh, Like you said, the (laughs) I thought (laughs) Disney would have learned from their lesson with that SNL uh, sketch. But I yeah, I thought about that, too. I thought about Bambi and The Rock. And I was like, oh, they're they're trying to remake these movies and and have it be way more dark and gritty than it needs to be. Yeah. You say dark. I say not dark enough. I want to mm. see Corella. I want to see Corella throw puppies down a wood chipper. Okay? If we're going to go big, we got to go big. You want to go Tim Burton, 101 Dalmatians. I want <laughs> Tim Burton Disney. I, I, don't want, right. I don't want this type of Disney. I want to see Corella physically abuse animals. Because at the essence of it, that's what she was. Yeah, that, that's her in the original ad animated film. She's just this crazy, bloodthirsty, <laughs> uh, wanting the puppy's fur. That's that's the character. And I'm kind of like over this whole trope of trying to sympathize with the villains. Oh, the anti-hero? Yeah, like, what's next? Ursula? Like No, no, no. Let me tell you something. Are, are you going to defend Ursula? No, I'm not going to defend Ursula, but I'm going to tell you that's already been done. And here's where it's been done. They do it. Disney does it on a lower level before they ever get to the big screen because Mm -hmm. they plant these seeds in the young children. I have two preteen daughters. I watch Disney and I watch the made for TV Disney that they put out there before they release things on the big screen. So Mm -hmm. I see the things that are a little bit more G rated. They'll have things like the descendants and their sequels where they do plant the seed of humanizing these anti heroes because they of what they've been through. So they've already done it in the descendants three when you have Uma come in and she's the daughter of Ursula and you find out exactly why they are the way they are. So these kids, they're preteens now. 
now. So why are they planting these seeds? Why is Disney putting out these stories already? Because then these kids are about to be full-fledged teenagers driving on their first date to the movies. And then they get to put out this dark anti-hero. And then the kids can be like, well, yeah, but I mean, you know, the old story of what happened to them. It's because of what they've been through. So no, no, no. This is like a whole system and I see it. Wow. Look at Disney manipulating the audience. Haven't they always, dear? Yeah, it's never been beneath them. I mean, look at Mickey. You know, yeah, he's a mouse who's a little like high pitched voice. Oh, hi, kids. Like you never really know. Like they were already implementing like, look at this character. You know, he's a boy, but he's not threatening this and that. They plant seeds along the way to see what they can sell on the big screen. Yeah. Disney is infamous for sugarcoating and kind of uh, tying a nice bow on everything, especially like Pinocchio. Exactly, exactly, Pinocchio, hello. And then you have Cinderella who's really into shoes. Mm, mm. What are they trying to say? Mm. Exactly, <laughs> they're planting the seed, all girls. Oh, look, girls' shoes, pretty shoes. That's the ultimate goal, that glass slipper from that prince. They've been planting the seeds our whole lives. Look, Disney might put out dark trailers, but the end product is a different story, okay? But when it comes to trailers and dark, gritty trailers... The trailer we're about to talk about next, it takes the cake. This is how you do it, baby. So Warner Brothers has finally debuted the Red Band trailer for the new live-action movie Mortal Kombat. Based on the most successful video game franchise, we get to see Sub-Zero, Scorpion, and many other fan-favorite characters in action. This time, we follow a new character named Cole Young, an MMA fighter who finds himself in a tournament like no other. The movie will be directed by Simon McQuoad, who has been attached to the project since 2016, alongside producer James Wan. Mortal Kombat is set to be released in both theaters and exclusively streaming on HBO Max coming April 16th. So, Lori, I'm sure you're familiar with this franchise. I grew up with this franchise, and I'm sure me and you both have watched the 90s movie. I don't think anyone could have escaped that theme song from the movie. I'm excited for this. I don't know, maybe it's I've been quarantined and locked up in my little apartment here, but seeing people just beat up each other, the blood, oh, I was just geeking out. I had the same reaction I did with Godzilla vs. Kong. I I love my film, my cinema. I love watching uh, that Twelve Angry Men and Citizen Kane. <laughs> but there are times where I just have to turn off my brain, and I want to see a big old monkey uh, punch a giant lizard, and I want to see a guy who can freeze anything and and tear off a guy's arms. I oh I I yes. This primitive instinct in me just came out, and I. I I wanted to punch something in a good way, in a good way. You know what I think it is? It's this everything that's going on in society right now. We're seeing so much stuff on the news about people getting into fights at Walmarts, people stabbing <laughs> each other over toilet paper. We're living in Mortal Kombat right now. We are. And I think that's where this is coming. I think everybody has that frustration and that, you know, all of these things coming up inside of them. And it's a, it's a release. And I think, I mean, when things were hard back in the old biblical days, I mean, they fed Christians to the lions and the spectators saw this and they cheered they saw gladiators kill them kill each other now why did the kings and queens provide these things for the people to watch because it it was a distraction and it was something that kind of let them release all of that pent-up aggression that was in them for being a slave for being poor for everything that the king wasn't giving them it was a distraction and you know what we're doing it now and it's called these action movies and you know i'm right there with you i Saw the preview and I lost it. I mean, a nostalgia on top of pent-up aggression. <laughs> Seeing this just came at the perfect time. It definitely did. I, I mean, you have you see Scorpion and Sub-Zero fight, which you have to in every single movie and game. It's a classic rivalry. But you see Sub-Zero uh, slice up Scorpion and his blood splatters midair. He catches his blood midair freezes it, uses it as a pick to stab him, and he throws him into an ice wall. Uh, I mean, how can you not be excited about that? Even if you don't know what Mortal Kombat is, it just looks freaking awesome. Uh, Mortal Kombat has been one of those crazy 
franchises and it gets away with it for being a video game. I mean, you have ninjas, you have sorcerers, you have now we have an MMA fighter in the mix, which for video game fans, they will notice that they replace Johnny Cage, who was a stunt actor in the franchise, and they replaced him with a new character, an MMA fighter named Cole Young. And I'm not too mad about it. I kind of see where they're going with it. MMA is very popular now. And I guess it's to get that kind of crowd in. Like, hey, it's an MMA fighter. Any MMA fans out there, come watch the movie. Uh, I get it. Uh, I can see why they went that route. Um, I just wonder if we'll be getting Johnny Cage in the future. But who knows? But I'm excited about this trailer. And I'm excited about the movie. Uh, I could watch the trailer and be good, but... I can only imagine how the movie's going to play out. So when I watched the trailer, I have a 14-year-old son, and I think this was the most heartbreaking thing for me. We pulled up the trailer, and he has a tendency, like on everything, because we watch WandaVision together, and these are all new things that he gets me into. He's like, Mom, we have to watch this. You know, my my son is the one who gets me up at 5 a.m. on Friday so we can watch WandaVision. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, but, you know... He's sitting there and as we're about to watch it, he turns and he's like, okay, mom, so let me give you some background. Mortal Kombat is a violent like video game where they fight and they do things like this. It's based on this, this game, you know, that's out there. He was like, so this is a movie based on that game. And I just looked at him like, son, (laughs) I know what Mortal Kombat is. And he was like, how do you know what Mortal Kombat is? I was like, because I used to play it on Nintendo, on Super Nintendo. I was like, this, this game came out when I was your age and he was like oh okay and then it started and almost as if he didn't even believe i was that cool we started watching it and i started saying like sub zero and get over here and he was like mom you do know it and i was like son i know more about it than you think but yes and i hope johnny cage comes in because i'm one of those nostalgia fans i want to see all the original characters and i don't mind that johnny cage isn't the lead anymore but at least like put him in there as like this old guy or this guy who has already been established there you know as a fighter and then you have a new guy coming in i kind of like that kind of take on it so i'm really hoping we're gonna see him oh i have a question for you is your son excited for this movie yes Yes, Aiden is thrilled for this movie. He doesn't realize, and I think he's very representative because I hear him playing online games. He has this whole group of friends. Uh, I hear them talking all the time and they're unaware. I really get that perspective of the preteen, like the 14 year old boy, you know, and also preteen girls. I I love that they keep me fresh. Mm -hmm. If anything, that's what they do. I get a best of both worlds, but they have no idea how old Mortal Kombat is. They only know him as new games. Like, he was completely stunned that it was a game that you could play on Nintendo. Yeah, it's telling of Mortal Kombat itself, that franchise. It's been alive for decades now. And the games just keep getting more popular and popular. So I'm really, I'm curious to see how this performs. It's a huge advantage for HBO Max. They have not only this one, but the other trailer I mentioned, Godzilla vs. Kong. So they have a pretty stacked list for the year, even though the announcement was kind of uh, not the best way to announce everything. Uh, Because you know about that, right? About HBO Max and how they just announced their entire slate and a bunch of studios and directors and actors were just pissed off about that. Wow. I didn't know about that. Okay, so the trailer came out for HBO Max saying, hey, all the movies that were supposed to come out last year and this coming year... They're all going to be released on our streaming service. And a lot of filmmakers and studios did not get the heads up on that. They didn't know that that was going to happen. And so much to where there's talks of Christopher Nolan leaving Warner Brothers. Wow. Yeah. So I'm kind of bitter about that as well. Because that's a huge difference between streaming services and box office. Streaming, they don't have to release their numbers. They don't have to tell anybody anything at all. And with box office, that's where we have control of the narrative. Yeah. We can tell the studios, hey, we don't like this. We're not going to support it with our money. Or if it does financially great, then obviously we're going to get more more movies like that. So it's kind of scary. And I've been preaching this for a very long time, Lori, even before the pandemic. I know. How streaming services will be the death of theaters. Sometimes in our attempt and our advancements in technology and streaming services, we're going forward 
And in this going forward, we've taken a huge step back Mm -hmm. because what this is, is what it used to be when Hollywood and the big studios controlled everything and actors and directors were completely, they didn't release numbers, this, that they were only paid for that movie, that job. There was no security and the big movie studios made all the money off of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what streaming services have kind of allowed them to kind of take that control back again, uh, which is really sad because they fought so hard. It's like with anything in life, you know, so many of these movies. I remember, you know, when indies were trying to get off the ground and you had things like Easy Rider, where, you know, it was that group of actors sitting down, writing it, putting out, filming it, you know, their own money, very little financial support, but then it becomes a cult classic and people go out there to watch it. Not because it's saying that the big studios is saying, this is what you need to watch. They watched it because that was the life that they were living. And that was the perspective that they could relate to at that time. And that's when those movies started coming out and because of the revenue it started earning at the box office, they, it started giving the actors and the writers a voice. I think the climate has just gotten too big. Yeah. Because now we have, I mean, before it used to be mom and pop shops that owned these movie theaters, right? And yeah. now we have the megaplexes, you know, like Cinemark and AMC. And I, I do enjoy going to those. Uh, I mean, that's they're the only ones that are around. But... I don't know. It, there's an expectation now that you have to meet a certain quota in order to keep the business going. You know, you have yeah. to have an Avengers movie every two to three years in order to bring in that revenue. And I feel like it's become too much of a big machine to the point where streaming services are taking advantage of that. I, I do blame streaming services to a certain degree, but at the same time, I, I don't blame them as well. Yeah, uh, it, It's kind of it's their own fault. It's the it's Hollywood, and I feel like we there needs to be a big old bust in this machine, so that way we can go yeah. back to the roots. You know, kind of go back to just making films out of passion, out of love. It's gonna take some of these studios putting their foot down and saying no. Uh, it's gonna take some places saying no. We're not gonna do it this way, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's it is. And but I love it because it's happened before, and it'll happen again. Where actors and small studios start taking back control, and we're gonna see some really great films come out of this. Yeah, like a twenty four. Like a twenty four. That's exactly. I was about to say that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to be it for us here. I know I'm going to be bringing in Jackson so we can do a Minari review. But yeah, we're going to part ways here, Lori. Where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter, lovely Lori. And you can find me on Facebook, Lori G. Hoffelmeyer. And uh, I'm always doing a little bit of something and chasing around my kids and watching movies. All right. Thank you so much, Lori. And we'll see you next time. Yes. Bye. And now joining me is Jackson. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back. Oh, yeah. It's been a while. It feels like a long while, hasn't it? It really has. feels like forever. Well, we're back, and we're going to be giving you a review of Minari. Now, this film follows a family of South Korean immigrants who tried to make it in rural America during the 1980s. This is a semi-autobiographical take on the life of writer-director Lee Isaac Chung. Starring Stephen Yen, Han Yeri, Alan Kim, Noel Kate Cho, and Yang Yun Jung, it is currently nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at this year's Golden Globes. I really enjoyed this movie. It's one of my favorites so far. I know I have a little bit more mm-hmm. catching up to do. It's very tender. It's so warm from start to finish. Mm-hmm. You just get this like nice feeling all the way through, except for like the last act which we'll go into spoilers about, but it, it's so warm and it's so nice. And there, I'll, everything I want to talk about culminates in the last act and we'll get into spoilers. So I, I really don't have that much to say other than it was beautiful. Yeah, and I think for me, what carries the movie most of all is the cast here. We have Steven Yen, who many should know from the Walking Dead franchise. Besides that, I don't know too much about any of these other actors on the list, but... The two that stand out to me, of course, is one, the son, played by Alan Kim. Yes. And the grandmother, Yaon Young Jung. Uh, those two and their relationship in the movie 
it steals the show for me. Yeah, it does. They're so cute together. It really centers around them, too, throughout the film, especially when she comes into the picture. Well, they were already in L.A. from what it seems like. The, the mom keeps wanting to go back to the city, and he's like, Let's, just let me do this thing, and I promise you that once this farm gets going, you won't have to work another day in your life. Just just give me three years. That's all I ask. That's the whole driving force of the story, and that's Stephen Yun's character to a fault. That's the dad's character. Yeah, Stephen Yun and his role in the family. I mean, he's the father, and he has to provide for his family here. And you have the wife that's uh, not so keen on his decisions, especially moving from L.A. to, I think it's it's not Texas. I know they're trying to get business in Texas. No, I think they're in Nebraska, right? Or are they in the Arkansas? Arkansas sounds more right. I think it's Arkansas, yeah. So, yeah, and... It wasn't going to do that whole like fish out of water them adapting to the American life because they, they've already lived here in America. But it's more of like the, the inner struggle that anybody in this type of situation would go through. If anything, the white people in this movie are the fish out of water. Yeah. You have the guy working on the farm with him and the way that Stephen Young treats him is just like, okay, you freaking weirdo. Oh, and can we? Yeah. Speaking of that character, Paul is the helper. Yes. Will Patton. That guy, he is he is like been in movies since the eighties. Really? He comes out in Armageddon. And he's also done a lot of television work as well and voice acting, but he's one of those really, really hardworking actors. And it was great to see him in such a different way. I've never seen Will Patton in this type of role before and I thought he did great. Oh yeah, he was fantastic. Every time he was on screen, I'm like, what is this guy going to do next? Yeah, whenever he's carrying the cross, when they see him for the first time, I'm like, oh, that explains everything. Yeah, like his character. Like that makes so much sense. Who he is. Yeah, and and just an overall, I feel like the, the family themselves, too. The wife is great. She plays Monica here. And Noelle Cho, the daughter here. Mm-hmm. I thought she was great, but for me... Alan Kim, the son. He's so freaking cute. He's adorable. He is great. And even besides that, he's really good at what he does here in this movie. Yeah. And especially when his relationship with the grandmother. Yes. And she comes from Korea. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, she doesn't, she hardly knows any English. That's another perspective I never thought about. It's a kid being raised strictly from America. Because you have the grandmother who was from Korea, never been to the U.S., and then you have the husband and wife who have their Korean roots, but they immigrated to America, so they, they kind of have both worlds mm-hmm. in their lives. And then you have the children, especially Ellen Kim, uh, the youngest one, and uh, his name is David in the movie. And David, he his whole perspective on how families are supposed to operate or how society works is through the american eye and so his his expectations for the grandmother is solely based off the stereotypical version of an american grandmother yeah and and it really is a a uniquely american film you know you have the immigrants coming to the country and just because they're korean that doesn't distract from the fact that this is an american story and It's really cool that we're finally getting this perspective. Like, we're finally seeing this side, and these stories are finally being told. It's more true and honest because it comes from the eyes of a person who's been through this with writer-director Lee Isaac Chung. So uh, props to him and props to the entire cast. Their chemistry is so good together. This movie is so natural. It literally feels like they just plopped a camera down and just filmed everything. Oh, yeah, let's talk about how we uh, saw this. Yeah. Any chance I get to go to the movie theater, I'm going to take it. And A24 had originally sent out a link or they posted it saying, hey, we're doing early virtual screenings. And I think it was the weekend of Valentine's Day where most Mm -hmm. of the screenings were taking place. And that's when I saw it. I saw it Valentine's Day uh, that evening. How was that experience for you? Uh, I mean, I just put it up on my laptop. I plugged the HDMI cord into the TV and uh, it was seamless. I mean, there was this little thing that said my name and my email address that was popping up all over the screen. But I think that was just because of it. Like, I'm doing it through the website. So it, like, I don't know, stuff on their end. But it didn't distract me much. But it, it was good. I would not mind watching another movie like that. I mean, I'd rather see it in the theater like you did. <laughs> well, I was <laughs> going to do a virtual screening as well. But I like to do things last minute. And I waited too long. And by the time I went back to buy uh, my screening... 
it had sold out. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I guess I won't get to see it for a while because I know it's not coming out until this week or next week in theaters. Yes, this weekend. Yeah. So I was going to miss out. But then I saw my oh, one of the theaters close to me was showing it the same day I was supposed to watch it anyway. So uh, wow. I took advantage of that and I want to go watch it. And there wasn't a lot of people. You know, the movies that I want to watch, not a lot of people go to them. So it's perfect. Yeah. Remember when we went to go see The Old Man and the Gun and it was like just a handful of elderly yeah, that's people? Yes, the one with uh, Robert Redford, right? Yes. So let's get into spoilers. Yes. Oh, real quick, definitely go see the movie. It comes out this weekend. Uh, give it a chance. It's so good. It's so warm. You're going to love yes, it. Yes, and you will fall in love with the boy and the grandmother. I know I did. Uh, their dynamic is so good. So yeah, let's talk about that ending. And there's a point where this movie just takes a turn. I was thinking about how unpredictable life is. And sometimes mm-hmm. tragic life events happen in the most... Uh, uh, it, it's not like a spectacle. It, it, nothing builds up to certain things that happen in a family's life. No. And it, it just happens. It happens literally overnight. Yeah, it literally did. Yeah. She was fine the that night and she was comforting him and then she had a stroke. And I thought it was like comedic at first, but then when they cut to her and I'm like, okay, some what's going on? And then the movie just goes from there. The whole like two hours before or hour and a half before, it's just so calm, so quiet. I mean, there's little fights here and there, but for the most part, it's a generally warm movie. And then once the grandmother has a stroke, the movie just takes a turn, like you said. We had that same reaction, too. And not just me, other people in the theater. And that's what I miss the most, those shared experiences between strangers in a movie Mm -hmm. theater i mean you're not going to go up to them and talk to them about the movie but it's just that in the moment kind of thing there was chuckles in in the theater when yeah i was chuckling too so for context david the the young son he has a he wets the bed he has a problem with that his ding dong's broken (laughs) that's that was one of the funniest (laughs) things yeah and so there's a part where David and the grandmother, they share a room and they speak at night and they have this conversation about the son saying prayers to see if he wants to see heaven one day. And the grandmother doesn't really think it's right for a parent to kind of put that kind of pressure on such a young kid. And he has a hard murmur and he has a, who those who don't know. I have a heart murmur, actually. Really? I didn't know yeah, that. I it's very small, though. Wow. But him, for David, his is a little bit more larger than normal. And so that causes concern. You know, uh, throughout the entire movie, he can't run too much. Otherwise... Don't run, David. Yeah, he gets tired. And so anyways, the grandmother does comfort him and tells him to sleep next to her. And she comforts him. And the next morning, the bed, this time the grandmother's bed on the floor is wet. You think it's David. Mm Mm-hmm. And... David is really mischievous. I mean, he's a little kid, and he's really clever on how to get out of things. So you kind of think, oh, what's going to happen? You kind of play it out. You think you know how it's going to go. Like, oh, he might blame it on the grandmother. Uh, Let's see what he does. But no, uh, yeah, that's where the movie just turns on a dime, where it's like, no, something is wrong here. And it turns out the grandmother did have a stroke, and she's the one that had that accident. And thinking back on it, like, what a conversation to have the night before you have a stroke. What I got from it was that, in a sense, that that grandmother took away his problems and absorbed it onto her. Because literally the next day or when they go see the doctor, they say, hey, you're good. You you don't have to do surgery. The hole is closing and you're good. And then thinking about that, I was like, oh, like, it it seems like the grandmother took that away from him, like healed him in a way. And I thought that was so beautiful thinking about it more. Wow, I'm I'm tearing up right now. Holy crap. (laughs) It's a very beautiful movie. Again, that that relationship between David and the grandmother, it's so it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. Whenever the the farm burned down, I was like, I've seen this before. Where have I seen this before? And it reminded me a lot of the intro to uh the 310 to Yuma. Have you seen that one with Christian Bale and uh Russell Crowe? No, I haven't. It's really good. I just saw it for the first time over quarantine. Yeah, and I had never seen it before, and I was like, what's this whole thing about, you know? And in the beginning, Christian Bale's farm burns down. And the whole time I was watching Minari, whenever that was going, I'm like, where have I seen this before? I it, This looks so familiar. 
And I, I was like, did I see this clip like online or something? I'm like, no, like, what is it? It it reminds me of 310 to Yuma, uh, but only in the fact that like the barn burns down. It's kind of shot the same way too. Uh, but um, I, I still had that same like panicky feeling like, holy crap, this place is burning down. And what a metaphor for their mm-hmm. relationship. Too. Yeah, I think this is where we get the good news that David's heart is healing on its own and there won't be any surgery. And not only that, but you have the dad who has been trying to farm and distribute his crops. He takes his work with him and the mother is kind of mad about that. Like, we're not here for you. We're here for our son. And that's a whole conflict, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're on the verge of separating. We're not sure where their relationship is going to go from here on out. But in the meantime, the grandmother is trying to burn trash. Uh, but keep in mind, she has a stroke now, so she's not as mobile as she wants to be. And she's walking around with the cane and everything, and she has the little garbage bag on the stick. She's poking the trash, and a uh, cardboard box flies out. It's already on fire. It falls on the dry, dead grass, and she's like, oh, no. Yeah, what and she's trying. And it's so heartbreaking. You, you know she's stubborn. Yeah. She wants to keep going even after a stroke. But, yeah, so the little shed where they keep all their crops, that's her livelihood. And it, it burns, and that's when the family mm-hmm. comes in and sees it burning, and they, they try to help. Did you notice that Stephen Yun's character went for the barn and not for uh, mm. his mother-in-law? Wow. First? Oh. Yeah. And, and and that's that, too, for me, like, we always – it's it's not really a trope, more as, like, a, a common uh, story to have where you have conflicting uh, parents where one is trying to pursue something and the other one is trying to – either stop it or kind of question it or it's not working and that's Mm -hmm. that's family in a nutshell but it's really hard to side with one person or the other in this one for me yeah and i think that's intentional because i mean it's semi-autobiographical and he probably felt the exact same way he he doesn't want to choose a side and he probably can't choose a side even if he wanted to you know there's even the conversation in the movie i think but doesn't the older sister ask him like who would you rather live with, mom or dad? And he's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Well, there's a whole study with divorced parents and the outcomes that it has on their kids. My girlfriend actually told me about this. So the older child is more so because they didn't really have anyone to protect them when mommy and daddy fight. So whenever they have the younger sibling, they're the one who's like, okay, let's do this. And we see that in the movie. She's like, okay, they're doing this. Let's go color. Yeah. Let's, let's do this. So he doesn't really get to see all that he doesn't really know how bad it can get whereas she has seen all of it predictably so she's just trying to protect him and so he's just kind of like what's going on kind of thing he's not really in tune into what's going on because he's being protected by his older sister that's the thing that breaks all these borders and barriers with cultures families fight we have our disagreements and we're gonna have conflicting views and that's universal and that's why this is so much more than just Oh, it's a it's about a Korean family. Like, no, it's it's about a family. Yes. Oh my God! At the end, whenever like he's just running and he doesn't care. Like, he just got the news that he that he's fine, but he's probably not thinking about that. He's trying to go get his grandma. Like, hey, no, and let's ke- let's go and this keep way. in mind, hey, grandma. David's been mean to his grandma this entire time. Like, almost. Uh, the whole movie yeah. ever since she comes on that last act just so much happens in that last act and it ties literally everything that came my before favorite it together. line from david is where he's telling her you don't bake cookies you don't do all these things that an, uh, an american grandmother should do and i love the patience that the grandmother has with him yeah she's like okay i'll be a real grandma from now on I can't wait to watch it again already. Like, the more I think about it, the more I love it. And I, I just already can't wait to see it again. Yeah, it's a, it's a movie I definitely want to revisit. Also, you mentioned the SAG Awards has this movie down for Best Ensemble. Yes. Best Ensemble. And Steven Yeun is nominated for Best Actor. And uh, the grandmother. Yeah, the grandmother is nominated for Best Supporting Actress. I really, I need to look at the categories again and the nominations, but I really do hope this movie gets Best Ensemble. Yeah, yeah. Oh, their chemistry together is so good. That's the thing. Like, all of these movies have been like kind of quiet releases, but once we actually like take a look at them and like see them for what they are, it's like, wait, this is actually really good. And that's been the way that I've been seeing all these movies. Like, oh, this movie came out. Nothing else has been coming out. I guess I'll watch this. I'm like. 
wait, this is like really good. Mm-hmm. And that's like every movie that's nominated or going to be nominated for Best Picture this year. We've had a great year of of movies, but it's just been so quiet that we haven't really realized it. Yeah, and I think that's due to the pandemic. It's uh, yeah. right now a lot of movies are kind of in a tough spot to where, especially these type of movies, these low budget indie movies, where if you thought they had a hard time trying to get in the movie theater before, when the pandemic mm-hmm. hit, it, they had no choice but to go to streaming. Yeah, and we we both know how A24 is with uh, their distribution, especially in Corpus. But you know what's crazy, though? I have, throughout this pandemic, I have seen more. Now that the uh, high, the big budget movies uh, want to keep pushing their dates back because they want to be released in theaters when everything's back to normal. But because of that, I have seen a lot more indie movies or low-budget films being distributed through theaters. And I've never mm-hmm. seen that before. Like, I, I don't even know if I would have seen Minari uh, or if it would have been available at my local Cinemark if everything was back to normal and we were crowded with these big-budget films. Yeah. Like, who knows what would have been released right now? That, that's the other thing, too. Like, it, like you said, just could have been lost in the shuffle and we could have you could have never seen that in theaters and you would have been forced to see that on the tv yeah so i, I am happy i got to watch it in theaters and i really you do lucky bastard <laughs> and i do hope that we get to see more movies like this with big distribution yes i don't know if we want to give it a rating i'd give it a nine it was good i don't think it's the best thing in the world but it's really 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 good yeah i would give it a nine as well we highly recommend minari please go check it out can't recommend it enough yeah well, that's going to be it for us here. But for those listening, what are your thoughts about what we discussed today? The trailers, the movie news, and also uh, Minari. If you had watched it or not, let us know. Please do. And when you do, let us know on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages at Cinema Show Live. And use that hashtag Cinema Show Live. Give us your questions and comments. Or maybe you want a shout out. Either way, you're all part of the panel as much as we are. Jackson, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jackson underscore DML. And again, thanks to Lori, who was here with us earlier. And oh, Jackson. Yeah? We forgot to bring in Dario. He's right here with us. Again? Yes. And Oh, my God. I'm sure he's seen all these movies and saw all the trailers we talked about today. But you know what, Dario? We'll get you in next time, okay? Yeah, okay. Huge thank you to Dario for composing our music. And you can follow him on Twitter at Dorito is the name. My favorite flavor is nacho cheese, by the way. Mine's Cool Ranch. I hate Cool Ranch. Well, I hate you. And you can follow me on my personal Twitter, at DylanMM5. That's right, D-Y-L-A-N-M-M-5. This is The Cinema Show. Remember, all films are subjective, and it's all about perspective. Have a great day and a better tomorrow. (laughs) 